in Seattle. Seattle. You need to buy yourself a home. We'll be right there for you. Because we're the realtors that you can trust. So go to ridingdancedown.com. Don't go anywhere unless you want to. It's the Ron and Don Show, starring Ron and Don, and sometimes me, at ronanddon.com. Hey, you guys, what's going on? Welcome to episode 590 now of the Ron and Don Show, and yeah, we are live in the Les Schwab studio. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, we're going to talk about three different theories about why Elon Musk really bought Twitter, and they say he's changing the name as we speak to X. Why is he doing that? Uh, we certainly have some thoughts. Also, uh, some new research on some unexpected features that women find very attractive about men, and uh, I have one of these. <laughs> and we'll find out if Ron has a couple of these as well. Before we get to that, though, let's get to this really interesting article I read about uh, people now seeking therapy. Uh, more men now seeking therapy, and are I, I? I think people are finding that they can they can find access to therapy online, which I think is really helpful. Uh, and so some people now are just reaching out and finding a therapist on a Zoom call. I, I do think if you've tried a therapist before and it didn't work out, be patient with that because sometimes you just don't sync maybe with that therapist or maybe their philosophy is cognitive and yours is not. Maybe you want to spend more time uh, in your past and kind of sifting through the past. And sometimes a cognitive therapist, for instance, that believes in, in kind of talking about therapy in the here and now, understanding the past, but let's not live there. Let's, let, let's go get some tools so we can make some better decisions in the future or understand our future a little bit better and deal with depression, anxiety, some of those other things. So uh, anyway, Ron, I thought this was interesting. It uh, just begs the question, hey, what what was one thing, one kind of simple thing that a therapist shared with you that was kind of a game changer uh, in your life? And you, both of you and I have been going to therapy now for a number of years. So so what do you got? Yeah, I agree with you that this trend towards it being more acceptable is, I think, a huge boon to people, especially uh, if you're like me. And I think like you, too, when you're in the, the dating world, let's say, when you meet someone that seems great and they haven't done any any sort of therapy ever, you're sort of like, ah, I wonder if they've done their work. Anyways, I have a clear recollection of this one for me uh, that I started going to therapy um, when my marriage was failing. And then after it was clear that it was going to fail, I got a different therapist because the, and actually respect the therapist I had that was a marriage counselor. It's like, I can't, because I had a good vibe with that therapist. And they said, I can't treat you because I've treated both of you. Oh. And, and I, she goes, I can't treat you separately uh, because I know, uh, you know, I've sat with both of you as you were doing a couples therapy. And I was like, interesting. So, because I wanted to just continue on my own with, oh. with that therapist because you already done all the groundwork it's like i don't want to start over like what's your middle name like with the new therapist but i did and so in in processing that one thing and i think about this i bet a week doesn't go by where i don't think about this phrase she said it's all your responsibility but it's not all your fault oh wow and uh in the analogy she used because i was i was in this state of mind where i wanted to reconcile uh, 
the fault of everything. I wanted uh, my my brain was sort of like, okay, what percentage of fault am I at, and like, what is that worth? It's <laughs> totally you, you know, like I'm, I'm just trying to figure out. It's like, well, why do I have to deal with that? Like, I, that's not my fault. Like, why do I have to you know deal with that? Yep. She said the analogy uh, that my therapist gave me, which it absolutely changed my life to the better. She said, if you're driving home from, this is back when you met in person, if you're driving home today from this session, uh, a drunk driver runs a red light, T-bones you, and you're uh, thrown from your car and your leg is broken, like you can see the bone sticking out of your leg. And the paramedics are going to show up. You didn't cause that wreck. That wreck is 0% your fault. You were obeying all the traffic laws, going the speed limit. It's a, you're 100% not at fault. Your broken leg is now your responsibility. Mm. You can sit there. You, she said, you'd be justified to sit there on the side of the road and not want to get in the ambulance and go, this is not my fault. It's that guy's fault. Yeah. And that person could get out of their, the drunk driver could get out of their rig and walk away unscathed mm -hmm. with no, uh, no physical damage whatsoever. Uh, but as, as, uh, as it sits right there, it was 100% my responsibility, 0% my fault, whether or not I was going to get in the ambulance, going to do the rehab necessary to gain mobility of my leg again. And she goes, you don't have to accept the, the, the blame. Uh, you, you could be that person that got T-boned in, in life. Doesn't mean it's not your responsibility. And so being able to differentiate that for me was a, a, a change my life. And like I said, probably not a week. I, I know at least every month, but probably what, what, once a week. That's good. What would you feel comfortable sharing where, where you've actually applied that and, 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 and share something that you'd be comfortable sharing where you're uh, like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to, I'm that I'm going to take responsibility for, for this thing that is my responsibility, but that's so good, but it may not be my fault. I'll, I'll say something in vague terms with you and I, like you and I have known each other since we're kids. Um, we're very different people and we don't, we don't see eye to eye on every single thing, lock, stock and barrel. And I think even last week's episodes, we got into a thing where we were kind of arguing with each other and old me like 10, 15 years ago probably would have been like, I got to prove Don wrong. And like, he's not right. And I'm right. And like, let's do it. Like, let's, let's just butt heads and battle this thing out because I know I'm right. Mm -hmm. And I know like Don's getting emotional or he, he didn't do enough research or whatever the story in my head would be. And so now though, it's sort of like, Hey, I don't, I don't need to fight about that. I'm responsible for, like, I signed up to do a podcast with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't have to agree with everything you say. Totally. And, and, yeah. and you don't have to be right 100% of the time to believe what you want to believe. Yeah. And so saying I'm responsible for this, even if it's not, I'm not blaming anyone. I don't have to blame you. I don't have to blame me. I don't have to blame the situation. I can just say I'm responsible for like what I believe, how I arrive there. And I don't need to defend that. I, I don't need to die on that hill. Um, you know, sometimes it's, 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 it's I'm not a hundred percent in acting that out. Sometimes your my emotions get involved and like you want to put on the boxing gloves and, and go at it. But I don't know if that's a, a, a perfect example, but it's an example of just like, 
Hey, just take responsibility for the moment. Like you don't have to win every time. And, and there is room in there for me to go. Maybe I'm not right. You know, maybe, maybe there's part of what I believe that isn't correct. Uh, I don't know if that really answered your question. No, it does. Yeah. I think that's good for me. Uh, I remember, geez, about six years ago, sitting down with therapists for the first time and, and she asked, why are you here? And, and some of the things I shared, I don't, I'm not going to share here because I don't think you have to share everything in life in order to be transparent. And some things should be held closer to our hearts. Uh, but for me, it was two things. Um, there were other things, but the, the, the two things that I'll share is I felt like I was numbing, beginning to numb a lot when I felt stressed, anxiety, uh, pain. I was numbing and I, and, and for me, I was numbing with alcohol and I was doing that alone. And I began to see the patterns of my father. When I was very young, my dad was very adamant. You never drink and drive. Uh, I never saw him drink in the car. Uh, really, he was, a, he was a firefighter, a truck driver. So in order to hang on to his license, and there weren't a lot of D, DUI patrols back then or anything like that, but he was very, like he had seen a lot of people die being an being a EMT and a paramedic with the fire department. And, and what was interesting is he got older, he too started to drink alone. And I remember very vividly as a young boy, younger than my son, my son's 13 now, I was probably nine or 10, and I was upstairs helping my mom clean their bedroom and I looked under the bed and there were piles and piles of beer cans and empty pill bottles because my dad had fallen off a truck. And I think... If I were to go back and now with what I know, I'd love to see what those pill bottles said because I, I think he was probably addicted at that point to, to painkillers and alcohol. Then, then I remember one day cleaning out his truck. He had this Ranger truck, and I remember cleaning the truck out, and behind the seat were all these crumpled up beer cans. And I was like, wow, th- this, this, this is crazy because this is not what my dad taught me growing up, and now he's doing something that is really the antithesis of of the way that he had he had raised me before he fell off that truck. And so I think the falling off the truck, it began to take him to a place where his father was, because his father acted in a very same manner. And for me, you 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 would never I didn't I didn't drink and drive. I always took a, ca- a taxi before there was an Uber. Uh, there were never beer cans in the car or anything like that at work in a purse. But it was at home, alone, my son's gone to bed, I feel stressed, I feel pressure about ratings from the radio station, I feel pressure about delivering for advertisers, and I felt a lot of pressure about being a dad that didn't know what he was doing. So, and and connected to that, I felt like I was going down a road where I was going to become him. And we see this happen all the time where you're like, I'm never going to smoke like my parents did. And then all of a sudden you're 30 years old and you're chain smoking. You're like, what the hell happened to me? I am my mother. I am my father, whatever that is. And so she looked at me and she said, well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to sit here. And, and she said, this, this can be very painful sometimes. And she said, we are going to sit here and look at the evidence. We're just going to look at the evidence of your life. And so what she did is she said, we could sit here 
every time we get to, and we could talk about your past and going through the past and the trauma and your boy, she goes, why don't you write that for me? And so I took a couple of weeks and I wrote volumes and pages and I gave those to her so that she would have the background. But in my sessions with her, we would sit down and we, we would sift through the evidence of my life and things that were currently happening. And, and what was interesting about that, and, and even in one of my last sessions with her, because she's since retired, uh, she retired a couple months ago, she could remember things years later in the sessions that I had with her of things that I had written down. Uh, she could recall those, which really made me feel safe. And like this person is listening to me and this person cares and this is a safe place for me to come and sift through the evidence of my life. When you start sifting through the evidence of your life, it takes you to a place, at least for me, where either I was going to numb more or I was going to stop numbing and, and I was going to deal with whatever that evidence was that was sitting out on the table. Very painful but very critical. And as I sit here now, in, and it's, it's, it's the summer months, and my son is downstairs, and I just, I just made some lunch for him. And boy, am I having a blast with him this summer. I know that I'm not my dad. And I can also see good things about my dad where he was a good parent. And then I can also see the evidence of where he got sidetracked. And ultimately, it ended, he, he died at a, a, a pretty young age. And a lot of it had to do with his inability uh, to get help. And so I am so grateful that I've learned that skill because anytime I hear a voice in my head or in my heart or I start feeling a certain way about you or me or my son or my family or someone I work with, and whether it be love or whether it be conflict or, or anger or joy, I, I, I do a lot of, so what I do when I wake up in the morning, I light a candle, I read a little bit, and I look at the evidence of my life. We will see you on the other side of this. Hey, you guys, what's going on? It's Don. Now listen to me. I had a neighbor walk up the street and say to me the other day, hey, we're interested in having you sell our home but it seems like this is a bad time to sell a home and we need the money from our home to leave Queen Anne, Washington and we're going to Mexico and we're taking our dog that we found in Mexico, Poncho, we're taking him back home and that's where we're going to live from now on. What's crazy is the gentleman that owns that house used to own the house that I'm sitting in. They sold me this house, right? Anyway, I had some good news for them and I had to tell them, hey, is the summer months you want to sell in the fall? The market is actually very good right now for sellers. But your home must be dialed in. And Ron, you must do your work in this marketplace right now. And if you do, sellers, you will be rewarded, right? Yeah, and it all starts with a Ron and Don sit down. No obligation. It's free of charge. It's on Zoom. It's about half an hour. Email me directly, ron at ronandon.com or go to the website, ronandonsitdown.com. All right, you guys, welcome back uh, to the Ron and Don show. Uh, we're going to talk about Elon Musk here and, and, and really uh, the, the real reason why he bought Twitter. I'm going to take that and just sideline that story a little bit because uh, we're finding out now at the age of 56 that Sinead O'Connor uh, has passed away. And why she's passed away, we don't know. I believe a year ago she had a child 
uh, that had committed suicide at the age of 56. That's very young to pass away, but it, I, 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 the, the evidence is, I just talked about looking at the evidence. We don't know what happened. That that's, but, but, but we do know, we do know. In fact, I was talking with a friend about this last night. When, when, when we talk about cancel culture today, and the interesting thing about cancel culture is there are people now that are wrapping themselves in cancel culture in order to not be canceled and in order really to promote themselves and sell more records and albums. I'll give you an example. I listened to Kid Rock on a podcast not too long ago, and they asked him, what's your favorite duet that you've ever done with, with any musician. And he said, by far, Sheryl Crow. So he had all these great things to say about Sheryl Crow. And they recorded a song together called Picture. And I love that song. It's a, yeah, it's a, it was a surprise if you had followed Kid Rock's career to, to hear that song because he sang yeah. and sang better than you thought he was going to sing. And what Sheryl Crow helped him do an artist like that is to cross over, right? Even when he started doing some Hank Williams Jr. stuff and all that, he was able to cross over into country and also into pop, which is really unheard of for a guy that 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 grew up as, as, a, as a rapper in Detroit, right? And his dad owned a car dealership there. And he painted this picture that he came from poverty, and he really didn't. But he hung out with a lot of folks that were in downtown Detroit, in the underground, a lot of African-American rappers. Eminem did something very similar. So so when you look at and in fact, he says, what's the stupidest thing you've ever done? He said, the stupidest thing I ever did is call myself Kid Rock, because I'm not a kid anymore. But that, but that's who I am. So so you so we have Kid Rock, who is saying that Sheryl Crow is one of his favorite, favorite artists and uh, favorite humans of all time. Then we have this song that just came out, country song by Jason Aldean, and it's a song about small towns, and you don't do this in a small town. And so Jason Aldean has had some pushback. CMT canceled him. Uh, the woman that canceled his video at CMT, she is now saying that she's getting death threats from people. And they say the reason they did that is because he did this video, and in the video they feel like he's glorifying guns, and they feel like he hung an American flag or a black gentleman was uh, lynched in the 1920s. And they and they they had some BLM footage on there that they asked Fox to use, and Fox has since said you have to take that BLM footage out because we didn't give you permission to use that. And in the meantime, what has happened is Jason Aldean has gone out on social media and went, "Hey, they're trying to cancel me." And as people have tried to cancel him, and he's like, "CMT canceled me. Radio is beginning to cancel me." Well, what happened to that song that's been out for a number of months and wasn't even close to number one? Shot to number one on the Billboard charts. His concerts all out of, all around America are sold out. And Kid Rock, who had just started a tour, or he's planning a tour, he was having some pretty sluggish ticket sales. And, 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 and what's interesting is he did something this week. Number one, he said, I stand with Jason Aldean, which I think is very interesting because Jason was there a number of years ago in Vegas when we had the largest mass shooting in America. And what did Jason do? He didn't stand. He didn't pull a gun. He didn't do all this stuff they say that you do in a small town. He effing ran. And I would have done the same thing, right? You run. So big town, small town, someone pulls a gun, you run. You don't pull a gun on them. So let's be honest about that. He didn't write this song. So 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 now you have Kid Rock. He's come out. He changed the name of the tour. The tour is now called the No Snowflake Tour. No snowflake, no cancel. He now doesn't like Oprah anymore. And he said, you know what? 
I six of those stops was supposed to be with Sheryl Crow. He canceled them. He's like, I don't stand with Sheryl Crow. I stand with Jason Aldean. What's interesting about Sheryl Crow. Because Sheryl Crow called him out. Yeah, because Sheryl Crow called Jason Aldean out on social media. It was interesting because I saw pictures of Sheryl Crow's uh, concert at the Chateau St. Michel over the weekend. There were a lot of people out there. Nonetheless, that is really smart people like Kid Rock looking at cancel culture and going, you know what? I'm not going to get canceled. I'm going to use cancel culture to my benefit to go sell tickets, to get people to rally around me in the same way that Jason did. Kid Rock did the same thing. And in the meantime, Sheryl Crow is sitting there with kind of half an audience out there at Chateau St. Michel. She came out on Twitter and went after Jason, and who knows, maybe she got canceled here. We've seen this happen with Bud Light and beers and everything else. So when you look at Sinead O'Connor, she really, when you think of what she did on Saturday Night Live, what she said about the Pope, what she said about the IRA, what she said when she shaved her head, and, and she really stepped into the spotlight and she had this huge smash hit at the time, she used that platform. And as a result of that, she got canceled. Saturday Night Live said, hey, for that outburst, you can never come back. That platform is gone. You didn't have social media there where you could like reinvent yourself. Uh, once she was canceled from TV and once she was canceled from venues and shows, she was canceled. What's really interesting to me though, is all the people on social media right now that love Sinead O'Connor. And it's too bad that that wasn't expressed when she was still alive. Maybe it was, I just wasn't aware of it. So I think people did come around on Sinead. If you remember that, that song you're talking about, nothing compares to you is written by Prince. Uh, and she had an iconic video that was an extreme close up on her face where she was sort of and very lovely. She had shaved her head though. And so kind of big, beautiful eyes with tears welling up in them. And she really transformed this Prince song that was a straight ahead Minneapolis funk sort of Prince tune. Hmm. And she turned it into this lovely ballad. Uh, and if you hear Prince do that song, you're like, wow, Sinead's version is more powerful in a way, even though I, I love the Prince version, but anyway, she, she owned that song, but I think you're right. She, she framed herself as a troublemaker. Uh, she called herself a troublemaker and, and really used that. Um, I think to benefit her, I think people came around on Sinead. She didn't want to enter popular culture in the same way anymore. That's right. Like she, she, that was not what she was about into her forties and fifties. Um, th- these culture war things, are really interesting to me, and, and I might say something that would raise the ire of people. I, I think it's really simple-minded to get wrap up, wrapped up in that dynamic because it doesn't – and you talk about this a lot. It, it, it doesn't require any original thought. If you think about the culture wars and how they work – it is the definition of bandwagon jumping. Let's take critical race theory, for instance. It's the, de- it's, it's the definition, if I can add to it, of bandwagon jumping. It's certainly the definition of dog whistle, and it certainly meets the criteria of gaslighting. And when you take all three of those things, and then you have that dynamic of television, the internet, and a cult of personality— like some politicians do, 
And the other politicians that don't, they may be better at policy and they may end up being better at actually doing the job. But but everything now is turned into a TikTok or a television show. And it's not about whether you can do that job or not. And to your point, life is a dimmer switch. Life is about listening to each other. And when we sit here in this room and we listen to each other, even though that maybe you felt conflict with me last week, uh, you, you get through that and real friends feel conflict. That's a, that, that's a real emotion. And thanks for telling me that. Cause I, 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 I hear you. So, and, and, and that gives me some ideas of some things I can do better and learn from what you said. But when you're on the internet and all you're doing is pasting and copying what other people are saying, and you're not really thinking about what you're pasting and copying. And a lot of times if it's a meme or something that somebody wrote, you're just pasting and copying somebody else's work and putting it up there because it sounds good to you. And the battle lines that are drawn, people out there take advantage of that. And I really think there's politicians that take advantage of that. And there certainly are entertainers now that have taken advantage of that in order to sell tickets and fill seats and have you buy their songs. So yeah, so I would just think like the cult. There, there's not, there's no such thing as the culture. All right, there, there. You, you're involved in a culture, but there's many cultures going on at the same time. And so this idea that I'm in a culture war, uh, the very premise of it is simple-minded. The premise of it is my culture is correct. And everybody else's culture is incorrect. That's good. And so I need you. That's really good. I, I'm going to spend my time, energy, money, and, and and emotional life trying to berate people into adopting my culture. That's great. And nobody nobody ever does that. I love <laughs> like it. Like you never do. Yeah. So I, I would just challenge people before you, like I was going to do the example of critical race theory, or you could do the one recently of these, uh, you know, legislation to ban you know, transgendered shows in front of children, something like that. I really just think, stop and think about that for a second. It's like, what, what's that for? Uh, it's for this person that doesn't do any research, that doesn't have any original thought, that goes, I don't want transgender in front of my kid. <clears throat> and sorry to parody maybe a Southern accent on that. That's unfair. But like, you know, it gets up in arms about the idea when they've they have no concept or, or context for any has, has it ever happened to your kid? What if you what if you're out at Home Depot and you and and the cashier is trans? That's not a show. Are you gonna what are you gonna tell your child if they ask you uh, about this transgender person that was your cashier or, or if they can even server, tell if they, they can, can even tell, tell or not? Tell it so it's like what is what is the message there, and why would we need to legislate that? It's because of this simpl overly simplistic idea that my culture is right, and there's an assault on my culture. Yeah. Y your culture is not right. It's right for you in some way. It yeah. serves your interests in some way. Doesn't mean it's right with a capital R. And so it, that's the, the thing that I would hope people, and it's really hard to get through all the noise on this. So back to your original example with like, let's say a Kid Rock and a Jason Aldean. It, it, Jason Aldean, when he chose that song, if there was an ounce of self-reflection in him at all, you could go, 
The song is basically, I'm pro-cop, I'm pro-small town, don't try to be a looter in my town because you're going to get your ass kicked. That, that's the message of the song. And we kick and, people's and, asses in a small town. Right, yeah. that, that are not like us. That are not like us, we kick their ass. And yeah. so if, if you take it just even a half, as, and he didn't, four other people wrote that song. Jason Aldean didn't write right. that song. You, you brought that up. But if you just pause for a minute and go, okay, like I'm going to show this, this BLM footage in in my video to illustrate the point that you'd get your ass kicked in my small town. And it's like, okay, think about that for one second. The BLM footage is a result, a reaction to a person of color getting murdered in their car, Philando Castile, let's say. And it's on video. And it's pretty universally accepted that there was an unwarranted shooting. And, and, and subsequently, a lot of these police officers were, were convicted of crimes. After and now that. we've seen dozens of those videos right. of black people so, being, being executed by, so by Jason cops. Aldean, shot, shot in the back, shot in their car, shot in the handcuffs, beat to death. We've seen, we've seen the video. Right. As, as, so as, if you're going to wave the American the, flag. We have seen the evidence. If you're going to yeah. wave the American flag and beat your chest over patriotism, there really is nothing more patriotic than protesting the unjustified killing of another human being. And so it's really a snake that eats its own tail where Jason Aldean, in my estimation, like, I I don't know him. I don't know his body of work. Uh, I watched this entire video. It's, it's just really uninformed and it's, it's really tone deaf um, to say, if you're not like me, and you come to my town, we're going to kick your ass. It, it's like, just stop and think. No one's trying to cancel you. They're just saying, dude, think about it for a second. That's not a thing. Like that was, you know, in, in, in 1850, you could lynch somebody that wasn't like you. That's not how we operate today. Yeah, and he grew up in Macon, Georgia. Population four hundred fourteen thousand is the metro. Making it making itself one hundred fifty six thousand. I grew up in a small town of one thousand two hundred fifty five people. Uh, every man in that town was on the volunteer fire department. Everybody knew each other. So in our small town, and 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 we had guns and hunters, and we're out in the middle of nowhere and all that stuff. But in our small town, uh, we didn't kick people's asses. Uh, Anytime there was a, a fire call, you'd hear it go out on the radio to the fire department and and every available male in town would show up to come help you with a fire or to save your baby. Uh, I remember my dad saving a baby one night who had drank Clorox and he saved this little baby's life. Those are the stories that I try to remember of him now. So it's just, I, re, I remember uh, new neighbors moving in and us in the Midwest pulling out an extra plate and inviting new neighbors to come over and, and, and sit with us. Those are the kinds of things that, that we did in our small town. And uh, so I think there has to be balance in that too. But in sharing that, that doesn't sell records. <laughs> that doesn't fill stadiums. Uh, that doesn't help you to be a victim. And whenever people see someone being a victim that looks acts and maybe uh, plays like they do, uh, they want to. They want to support them and defend them. So, we will see you on the other side of this.
Hey, it's Ron here with Mitch Weeks. You hear him on the show from Mitch.loans. And Mitch, you guys have a cool program out right now because interest rates are higher than they've been for quite a while, but you have a, a solution possibly for buyers. We do. Rates are high, but they're expected to go down. And that's why we came up with this program. It's the Rate Replace Program. So you can buy at current rates. And then when rates drop within the next year or so, you actually get to replace that rate and the fees are on us. So you can refinance that loan into a new loan and we will cover the lender fees for you. So that's the rate and replace program. Replace that rate. Very cool. So that's a, a really a good incentive for buyers. Uh, you can buy now with the security of knowing that Mitch at Mitch.loans will replace that rate. Check him out right now online at Mitch.loans. That's Mitch.loans. All right, you guys, welcome back uh, to the Ron and Don Show. Real quick before we get out of here, I was just reading an article about things that women unexpectedly find attractive. Some about- women. Someone, <laughs> not unex- all women. Yeah, and 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 some of these are interesting to me. And and for the guys out there, and and maybe this will be me at some point too. Is in fact, my friend Mike is going to be here from New Orleans next week, and he was actually a male model when he was younger. Very good looking at all his hair. I've known him though since he shaved his head and doesn't, and he looks like a completely different person. And he says to this day, sometimes it can be kind of weird because. For his friends that see him having hair, anytime they see him bald, they're still not used to it. Right. But when I see him with hair, I'm not used to it. Anyway, I guess there's a lot of women out there that like fully bald-haired men. I didn't see anyone saying, yeah, I like guys with really long hair or long locks or a buzz cut or anything. It, it, it seemed like they really liked bald-headed men. I thought I'd see something about, about tattoos. I didn't, I didn't necessarily see that. I did see crooked teeth. That women think men sometimes with crooked teeth or a crooked smile can be attractive. I was watching uh, uh, Jerry Maguire with my son the other night. It's really fun now that he's 13 and, and we can watch. Cuba Gooden Jr. in that movie is amazing. And and I, he, he when, it, when you go back and you look at Tom Cruise in that movie, his teeth are crooked. He didn't have an Invisalign yet. One of his teeth is lined up. One of, his, one, of, one of the teeth that he has in the middle, and I've heard him speak about it, is lined up with his nose. So he did Invisalign over the year, and, and my son is doing this. So I'm interested in Invisalign to see if it works. And, and when you go back and you look at Jerry Maguire, look at his teeth. When you look at Risky Business, look at his teeth. He looks different, but, he, but it... It didn't make him look very handsome. And, th- and then the final thing is, and I don't believe this, uh, women said they really enjoy acne scars. Boy, if women enjoy acne scars, have I got a guy for you, and I'm, I'm, I'm sitting right over here. So uh, what say you about some of the unexpected things that, that women like? Did you see anything in there where you go, yeah, I got I, I, I got that. So. I think it's, it's – these sort of articles, I think, are a disservice because it's a minority of women. You know, it's it's one woman who has a weird thing that they find attractive. Doesn't mean that every woman finds that attractive, but I hope that when they have that thing, that they find the person that has that and makes them feel good about it. You know what I'm saying? I don't like, know. Do you seek out someone that has crooked teeth? Do you seek out someone that's bald? Do you seek out someone with acne scars? Or I think those things all become, if you meet someone that you're attracted to, those sort of things become endearing. And if you, because you're already like them, if you meet someone, if you met the most attractive person in the world and they're a total creep 
or an a-hole, then things become right, give, unattractive. So give me two or three things real quick, and, I, and I'll give you time to think. I'll give you two things that are really attracted to me about women that have nothing to do with beauty, but, but that are attracted to me. Number one is I really like women that read and that read every day and can share some of the things in a conversation about what they're reading and learning because it shows a curious mind. And I love being around curious people and curious minds. And and you'll always have a great conversation with someone if they read. You, you will. My son and I went to the bookstore the other day and we both got books and we agreed that we're going to read a chapter a day and then we'll sit downstairs in the morning during breakfast and talk about what we learned last night. So we started doing that. And it's been great. We're having conversations that we've never had before. If you, if you're around someone that reads, they say you got to read to lead. And that's what I'm telling him. Uh, it's, it, it, it's really opened up some great, great conversations. And then the other thing is I like to see the way they parent. If they have kids, whether younger kids, older kids, the way they engage with those kids, how their kids feel about them. And I, I'm, I, I, I love women that are, that, that are great moms. I really do. What about you? Uh, observing the way a person, this is a man or a woman observing the way a person treats a service worker. Uh, it could be a restaurant, could be, uh, you know, you're in a building and there's someone on the cleaning crew, a security guard, like the bouncer at the front door, whatever, like seeing how they treat that strata of person uh, is very attractive to me and it's also the biggest turnoff when they're condescending to that group of people and then i think uh, another thing that's very attractive to me is someone that's like a nat naturally warm like natural sort of caregiver vibe where they um are just kind of gregariously um warm it, it, that, that's very attractive to me and, and again you can meet someone that's the prettiest person in the world and if they don't have those two qualities, they become less attractive to me. And you could be not the prettiest person in the world, but you have those qualities and you become more attractive. So I think these things in this survey for people, it's like the woman that's attracted to bald-headed men, it's probably bald-headed men that are confident and kind and funny and like have a bunch of other attributes. It's not a random bald-headed guy just walking down the street per se. Unless it's The Rock. Unless it's The Rock. Yeah, or Joe Rogan. Yeah. Hey, you guys, or Telly Savalas going old school. How about some Kojak? Hey, you guys, thanks for listening to this episode of The Ron and Don Show. And don't forget, if you need us, we love broadcasting, but sometimes some of you need us as your realtors, as your confidants, as people that will stand in the gap, help get your home ready for so get optimum dollars, or... Uh, help people go out and buy a new home. In fact, we're going on an inspection tomorrow with uh, a couple of ours, uh, some clients of ours that were looking to buy some multifamily. And so we went out and, and found a really cool property that I'll tell you more about in the future. We love being your realtors. And there's only one thing you need to do if you want to connect with us or if you want to refer someone to us. Yeah, you can go to ronandonsitdown.com, set up a Ron and Don sit down. You can even email me directly at ron at ronandon.com. I guess yeah. that's two things you can Yeah, do. and we're so appreciative for our referrals. We're going to have a big party for our referrals coming up here later this summer, and uh, we would love to invite you as well. Hey, ronandonsitdown.com if you need us. We also send out a newsletter just about what's going on in our lives. Uh, to about 6,000 of you. If you want to be 6,001, just get signed up. Rondonsitdown.com. We don't sell that information, you guys. We don't. 
Uh, and also, if you want to follow us on socials, he's Ron Upshaw. I'm Don O'Neill. Very active on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, in the future here. Uh, well, we're doing some things in the studio right now. We're going to be able to get begin to see the show on YouTube as well and Facebook page. Uh, which I think is going to be really cool. So we're working on getting those cameras set up right now so that you can see how handsome we are, uh, even with balding heads and and acne scars from 40 years ago. Again, thanks for listening to this show. Thanks for giving us great lives, as you 2 always says at the end of a concert. Whether you're broadcasters, uh, your friends, or your realtors, we are greatly, uh, we're in great appreciation for each and every one of you. Till next time, head up, shoulders back, and don't forget, you're listening to the Ron and Don Show. Oh! on the Ron and Don Radio Network and this Friday make sure you're listening for a real estate only show it drops every single Friday right here on this channel now keep your head up and your shoulders back and keep blowing that trumpet and we'll see you next time only 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 on the Ron and Don Radio Network only